Hi everyone. Just a potential trigger warning for you all before you start to listen to this episode. In one part, Michelle and I discuss a case where she attended just three weeks after a woman committed suicide. So if this could be potentially distressing for you, please take this as a warning to skip that bit or to not listen to this episode. It comes after where I ask Michelle what was the scariest thing that had ever happened to her during her time on the TV shows. Tēnā nā mai, haere mai. Hello everyone, welcome to the Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the realms of the unexplained, of the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. Your hosts... I'm Marianne. Thanks so much for joining me today, tonight, whatever time it is, wherever you're living in this beautiful world of ours. Sit back, relax, let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and see what awaits us there. Hi everyone, thanks for joining us today. If this is your first time listening, you might want to go and listen to the first part of this conversation I had with my guest so you can get the context of what we were discussing in that episode. In this episode, I conclude my conversation with my special guest, Michelle Bollinger, and I add a little more information to the first part of our conversation. Without further ado, let's head back into this part of the Shadowlands and see what's waiting for us this time. Are you ready? Then let's begin. For those just joining us and not having listened to the first episode, here's a little information about Michelle. Michelle Bollinger is an occult expert, presenter, singer, psychic, and author of more than 30 books on paranormal topics. Michelle has been featured on TV shows including A&E's Paranormal State and the Travel Channel's Portals to Hell as a psychic medium and a cult expert, Michelle's non-fiction research in books like The Dictionary of Demons and The Psychic Vampire Codex has been sourced in television shows, university courses and publications around the world. A person of many talents, Michelle has performed with musical groups including the dark metal band Urn and the gothic duo Noxicana and designed immersive live-action RPGs for companies such as Wizards of the Coast. In the 1990s, Michelle was the editor of Shadow Dance, a magazine dedicated to dark fringe culture that has since been reborn as a podcast. Michelle has made appearances on CNN, A&E, Fox News, Reels and the History Channel. Nowadays, Michelle teaches online classes and creates a variety of resources for personal psychic development. Michelle lives near Cleveland, Ohio, with three cats, a few friendly spirits, and a library stuffed full of books. Let's welcome back my guest, Michelle Bollinger. (laughs) 
I'd like to ask you how you got into the television aspect. How did that come about for you? Partly by device and partly by accident. Uh, so my involvement with television has a lot to do with my involvement in the vampire community and as an expert on ah. uh, dark cult aspects right. as a sort of uh, media liaison for, for fringe beliefs. Okay. Uh, in, in the United States in 1996, there were two fairly high profile events. Um, one was a murder and one was the disappearance of a, a reporter in New York City, both of which were believed to be tied to the vampire community. Right. Um, their connections are a little more complicated than that, especially the reporter. Mm. Uh, she was probably disappeared by the Russian mob because she'd done an expose on them right. long before she got involved with vampires. But all of that is conjecture. The main thing is, is it became um, really sensationalized at the time. It was at the height of the satanic panic. Right. Uh, where there was this widespread belief really pushed by evangelical Christian mm -hmm. extremists that there were um, secret cabals yeah. of, you know, satanic ritual abuse things. It was, it was, it was a really wild time yeah. of hysteria. But if you were listening to metal music, if you were listening to goth music, if you dressed all in black, you were seen as suspect. Right. I have a friend who back at that time was, you know, the weird kid in his town. Uh, you know, he listened to heavy metal. He definitely uh, dabbled in magic and witchcraft, dressed all in black. You know, he was impoverished, so he didn't have much of anywhere to go. He's just kind of rambling around the town. And there was a triple murder that happened and they pinned it on him and two other kids. Oh. And he ended up on death row for nearly two decades. <sighs> Uh, released and is currently fighting it because they've tried to like destroy all, it's 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 a whole thing he, it was called the the West Memphis three oh, wow. um, Damien Eccles <clears throat> so all of that was going on and I had gotten contacted by of all things the Ricky Lake show uh, right. because at that time I was part of the vampire community it was it was an underground network of um, fanzines and newsletters and pen pals and just, you know, it's pre-internet, mm. like a very, very early internet. Uh, and they'd sort of sussed out that there were those of us who identified as, as the vampire in, in a magical capacity, the same way that witches, right. uh, you had the witchcraft community. What I learned from the headhunter for the Ricky Lake talk show was they really weren't looking for someone who was genuine. They were looking for someone to be sensational. And I, I, I will quote how this phone call went. Wow. Yeah. Because <clears throat> at that time I was not out. Um, I was a researcher. I um, edited and published a magazine and a newsletter. Uh, I was, you know, on, on the ground floor of writing a bunch of stuff, but I, I was not publicly like, you know, vampirism is a part of my experience. Right. So they, they reached out and called and they're like, hey, we know that you were working with these people for this book and we're doing it a section on vampires. Would you like to be on? And I'm like, uh, well, I, I can come on as an expert. Well, we're looking for vampires. And I'm like, I can come on as an expert. For an all expenses paid trip to New York City, would you like to come on as a vampire? No, I really wouldn't. <laughs> Do you have a friend who would like a free trip to New York to come on and be a vampire? No, click. Uh, back when you could get the, the, the full visceral feel of hanging yeah, up on yeah, someone yeah. with a phone. 
what it taught me was our community was in the public eye. And if we didn't maneuver ourselves into a position where we could speak for ourselves, right. uh, we were going to be talked about and presented in a way that was inflammatory right. and just wrong. Right. And I'd seen that with uh, the witchcraft community, mm. certainly. And I'd also like learned from them. Um, you know, there was you know, the 50s and the 60s where it was all, you know, like B horror movie level sensational, like, you know, ooh, look at these people. They're, they're all naked. They're dancing in circles. Wow, witches. Uh, and several well-reasoned, well-spoken folks like Margot Adler and Starhawk started to move forward, even maneuver themselves into um, media like Margot Adler, who worked for NPR. Uh, and I, I took a page from that and was like, all right, well, somebody needs to do this. Uh, I was finishing my college career. I was debating, you know, do I, do I move from this? Like, do I go straight to like the PhD stuff or do I speak for my community? Yeah. Uh, and so I became basically a, a media liaison and did that for 10, 15 years. Mostly uh, things like the, the Discovery Channel, CNN, uh, various news items, documentaries uh, from 96 onward. If there was a documentary on vampires and I wasn't directly on it, I was almost certainly still consulted on it. I was still one of the resources. Uh, and the thing about TV in the States, I'm not sure if it works like this anywhere else. Once you're on one thing, you're on people's radar. Yeah. Yeah. And they they like get interested in how you have your sort of media personality right which was a little lost on me because i'm like this is just me mm -hmm. uh, and also i do speak well on camera um i keep my head about me and am bullheaded enough not to let anybody like you know boss me around or try to twist what i'm saying i can i can play chess uh with the best of them that way right yeah, I noticed, I observed that in the shows that I saw, and I know how they edit these shows because I've been on one myself. I have a paranormal investigation team here in New Zealand, and we were on a television series that was being filmed, and, you know, to see how they do it behind the scenes is quite an eye-opener. With, with the stuff for the vampire community especially, like, that was a crash course in learning how to outmaneuver someone who really truly doesn't want you to speak your truth right. they just want you to fill a role right um and and find the ways to speak right. and the ways to engage with or deflect questions so that they can't be twisted uh, and i mean honestly that as much as that was a pretty tough learning experience um and i was doing it you know gratis i wasn't doing any of that work paid i was doing it because we we needed it yes. we, we we didn't any more kids like damian eccles getting like picked up off the street just because they were black like it was just um but it taught me a lot and maneuvered me in a good way once paranormal state came together and some of the folks involved in that show <clears throat> were already fans of the work that I'd done with the vampire documentaries, as well as with my books. Right. So that's how you got involved with that. I'm yeah, sorry, that was a very long no, explanation. No, but, but... no, that's brilliant. <laughs> on a lot of the television shows you've been on, they bring you on a lot for your paranormal abilities. And I'm 
recalling specifically in Penn State how they used to bring you on blindfolded or was that mm -hmm. yeah they bring you on blindfolded so you came into an area you didn't know anything about it and you would just give them the impressions that you got and I really liked it I really liked that you didn't want to be influenced by anything that you could see around you so you could just trust your your intuitive abilities are you still involved in despite the current world situation and doing paranormal work like that yeah i have been working with jack osborne uh, oh, and katrina yeah. and katrina who who worked with uh the, the prs um and you know covid permitting and in travel and whatnot we'll, we'll still we'll still do some work with them and and i prefer the blindfold the blindfold started with the paranormal research society and at first it was just an experiment of like, if we remove, you know, the ability to potentially cold read, which is something that people will sometimes intentionally do, but you can unconsciously do it. If yeah. you walk into a room, um, even if you've never been in that space before, and you are even, even if you don't think of yourself as a particularly observant person, yeah. there are elements visually about a space that may tell you a lot about who lives there, what their history is pictures on the walls, the presence of books or the lack of books, whether it's cluttered, uh, the state of the furniture, there's the, the architecture of the house can give you a sense of how old it is or how new. So there's so much information. To add the blindfold removes that to a pretty significant extent. And I had such a very good time with that. Uh, I am a very observant person, and I am someone who I've spent so much of my life trying to find the line, like where is that dividing line between my psychological expectation or projection of belief versus my authentic experience? What's the line between my physical ability to read people, to read spaces, to just make a, an educated guess about a location and a, a truly psychic impression. And the blindfold has let me just stop overthinking. Yeah. Uh, it's turned into sort of a mini ritual itself. It's very helpful because as, as somebody who's as sensitive as I am, and I'm sure you, rec you will be able to relate to this, is... Most of my work as a psychic day-to-day -day goes into blocking stuff out, <laughs> just yeah. shielding myself, staying grounded, trying yeah. not to pick everything up all the time, uh, just to you know get by and not be bombarded. There's Especially right now, there's so much going on in the world, oh, yes. and I really just like some peace and quiet now and then. So when I go to these places, and usually they're, they're, they are rarely haunted locations where it was a happy haunting. Uh, we're talking abandoned prisons and tuberculosis wards and uh, old insane asylums and just, just places where horrible things have happened to many, many people. For it, it, there, There's psychic stains upon yeah. the lands these are at. And put the blindfold on, that tells me now it is time for my shields to go down because I'm going into this space as open as possible. And there's a certain amount of a trust fall with that. You know, knowing that I've got Katrina or Jack or other folks around me who, if for some reason 
I am in distress or something gets dangerous. They know me well enough to tell if I'm, if I'm not okay and to check in and that to trust that they will, even if it's on camera, even if it's going to interrupt the show, Uh, I won't, I won't work with folks in television who who won't respect boundaries like that. Good. Uh, And I mean, one of the things I love about Katrina is there are a lot of paranormal shows out there. Paranormal television is very big and very popular and it would be disingenuous of me to say that it's all hundred percent real in every case. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of a lot of production companies are making very good television, whether or not what they are doing is hundred percent accurate or true. And that's not to say that the the teams are necessarily faking anything, but the way in which they may be edited, the way in which they may be presented or the things they might be pressured to do may not always be what they want. Yeah. Uh, so that's something to keep in mind. And as someone who, you know, I'm, I'm in a good, comfortable position. I can pick and choose. I don't want to be on TV. Like it's not a thing of like, my end goal is to be on TV. Yeah. I do television work because, especially for the psychic aspect, it gives me an opportunity to stretch my abilities, mm. to understand how they work, uh, sometimes to help people, and also to represent a certain way of doing things, certain attitudes for doing things. Uh, you know, it, it's not, I, I am one of, actually, I think that I am the only um, openly intersex person who works in paranormal television. Uh, I am probably one of the only vampires. Uh, I know that I'm certainly one of the most open ones about that aspect. Uh, so I represent a number of fairly underrepresented diverse things and that representation can matter yes Uh, it can yes i also represent that side of psychics who don't just assume that everything's always psychic yeah (laughs) and and i'm not shy about you know admitting when i don't have anything yeah and i'm not shy about calling bull crap if i hear it Uh, which also I think is something that we need to see more of on these shows. Oh, absolutely. I agree with you. There's just so much. Like one thing I've always known about you from the first time I saw you was here's a genuine person. Here's a woman who speaks it. uh, Sorry, is that the pronoun you use? I I use all pronouns. It's fine. I'm I'm intersexed. Like like all and none apply at the same time. It's fine. Sorry, I, I, I'm not a very political person. Um, like, here's a person who speaks their truth, who is honest, who causes spade a spade and doesn't take any bullshit, basically. That's the immediate impression I got from you. As soon as you walked in without even opening your mouth, I just knew it straight away because that's the energy that you gave off. And watching you subsequently over that, that series validated my first impression even though I know how television series works how they're edited you know I it was enough for me to know yeah I will I will say one of the things that I really liked about paranormal state was it was not scripted um mm. it was documentary style so the the script open quotes like like air quotes was there was a person whose job description it was to listen to everybody's mic, like like every single person was mic'd up. They're in a they're in a van with basically like 
shorthand on a computer typing up everything we're saying as we're saying it. And then they would come like, like basically put together the story of the investigation from that. And that was the, you know, script as it were. There were, uh, you know, beats for like what the production company and the director thought that we should be doing uh, based on, we, we know that we're, well, the team knew that they were investigating, uh, say it was, this is a family and the daughter is seeing her doll move every night. So, you know, we're supposed to go check out, like, is, is it is it a haunted doll? Is it something else? Is it the daughter? And so there would be some sense of like, go and meet the family first, go and do this, go and do, uh, you know, some research on the house. Uh, but it wasn't like they sat us down and said, here are your lines. It was not like that at all. Mm. Um, it also did not, with the exception of one instance, I never had to like go and reshoot lines. Like they didn't ask us to stop and, and redo a thing. They just let us go. Uh, there was one instance where something went wrong with my mic pack uh, and they had me try to repeat exactly what I had said in the moment. And I'm like, oh, I actually remember what I said yeah. in that moment. I'll try. Because <laughs> it, it happened to be like, a really, really important thing and they couldn't get it back. Uh, that's not the case with all of them. Um, yeah. Some of them are more scripted. Some of them will be like, oh, wait, hang on. We, we actually need you to say this in order for the, the story to go on. And it's like, but it's real. It's not a story, but it's not. Yeah, yeah I, I, I have I have feelings about a lot of that. The, the documentary style ones I prefer. Mm -hmm. um, and it's definitely why I still work with with Jack and Katrina uh, for Portals to Hell. Uh, and yeah, if you see me on something and it's not just straight up a documentary, I have chosen to be there and I trust the people to not mess with me uh, and to respect the boundaries that I set. And one of the biggest boundaries of that is I, I will not make something up if I don't have a reading on a place. I am not gonna tell you what you expect like, if you tell me you want the place to be haunted by a demon, and I don't sense a demon, you're not getting a demon out of me. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that brings up another point. These days, everything is demons, demons, demons. There's nothing like it's not just an angry human spirit or somebody mm. who's hurting and is just projecting anger because they're hurting. You know, everything's has to be demonic, which is just such a load of bullshit. It drives me up a tree. I've, yeah. I've got, I took demonology from the Jesuits at my college. Like I, I learned demonology from the people who pretty much, you know, invented exorcism as, as yeah. we see it on exorcist and in, in media. Uh, so it, this is one of the things that really gets my knickers in a knot <laughs> because it, it does come down to labels. Mm -hmm. Like it's a convenient box and it definitely gets a rise out of people. Mm. Uh, it's sensationalistic. It's very spooky. Uh, it's, it's an easy, bad thing to like, kind of like, you know, get a thrill. And it's often incredibly misleading mm. and really loses the incredible nuance of the spirit world, which is a really not black and white, um, rarely purely good, purely evil, uh, and not made up of only human spirits and then also demons. Like there's a wide range of things that people can be inter interacting with. Oh, gosh. And yeah, and 
it's entirely possible for a human spirit to be so messed up and so conflicted that they are doing all of the things that we traditionally associate with the demon, but they're still a person. They just are a person who's got a lot of freaking issues. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, I, and I've met non-human entities that they're not human. That doesn't mean that they're bad. It doesn't mean that they're evil. They, they don't. Yeah. It, I, it, it makes me so aggravated, especially because what you will see is a team on a television show encounter a spirit that doesn't behave within the expected range of human psychology. Mm. And rather than trying to understand what that is and why, or understand what its actual framework of reference is, they just go, it's not human, therefore it's bad. And they kind of beat it with that hammer word of just like, oh, it must be a demon. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, we, we lose so much understanding by just painting things with, you know, a black or a white brush. Oh, gosh. So right. Like I, I always say to members of my group, because I, I started my group, my podcast started out of my group. I started my group so I could ha- help reach more people and I could help more people. So and I don't charge for it you know advice or anything from my group so I often get people come on group oh, I've got this really evil entity in my home and I'll tune in and it's not evil at all. it's just somebody who's angry because they're hurting I say mm-hmm. to the people I said this person's hurting they're angry because they're hurting because of this and this and this you need to approach them like you would a person who's in pain and acknowledge the anger say I I know I, I can I know that you're angry and I've I'm sorry that you're in so much pain that, you know, whatever. And people just, even with, like you say, the non-human beings, I say to my group, look, just because they're non-human doesn't mean they're evil. And often we will have this fear for them because the energies are so vastly different to what we are used to, but it doesn't make them evil. It just makes them different. Yeah. And I recognize it's a fairly inborn human impulse to fear what we don't understand, what Mm. feels foreign and unpredictable. And it it does come down to that sort of survival instinct of um, accurate threat assessment. If we don't recognize what something is, we don't know on, on a deep visceral level what to expect from it. Like, what are the rules? How will it behave? Is it threatening? Can it hurt me? What can I do to protect myself? And when none of those questions are answered, when we don't have easy answers for those, we are afraid. And we usually deal with that fear by judging something, by like setting up a boundary and just like trying to destroy it or run it off. Honestly, the vast majority of even even the nastiest, most violent spirits don't need an exorcist. They need a therapist. Yeah. (laughs) yeah absolutely you're absolutely right like you know I don't call myself I I call myself a spiritual counselor because so many of the spirits that I've had contact with have just needed somebody to talk to somebody who understands what they're dealing with and then they're quite happy to go off and go wherever they they go it's so sad that we react out of that fear. Understandable, though, because most mm. people don't have the understanding that we do. So for the average everyday, and they've been taught to fear. 
that's taught into the human psyche to fear. Yeah. Speaking of fear, what is the scariest thing that you've ever personally encountered on one of your mm. investigations? Ah, uh, I will say the one that had the biggest impact on me uh, was it was with Paranormal State. It was here in Ohio, um, Southern Ohio, it, probably 200 miles from where I live. Uh, and a woman had hung herself three weeks before. She was around my same age. Um, and since she lived in the same region, we were, I didn't know this going in. It was one of the blindfolded episodes. Uh, and I went through like the, the house. She had hung herself in the garage. They saved that for last. Um, I had this distinct sense as they moved me out of one building into the next that I was, I, I, I said like, I have a very, like bad feeling about where I'm going. Like, I feel like I don't want to do that. And they, and they checked in, they're like, so, so you don't want to, you, do you want to stop? And I'm like, no, no, I'm here to experience it. But yeah. I just want you to know, I have a foreboding feeling of wherever we're going is going to be rough. And I stood, they, they stood me right where she did this um, three weeks before. And so one of the things about reading things like that psychically is you know you're experiencing it in your mind yeah uh as emotions or images as impressions and you learn to keep it separate from yourself and sometimes that's easier than others when you're talking about uh an alien spirit when you're talking about a, a land spirit when you're talking about uh, a person who lived 150 years ago there is a different feel to how their emotions work and how they feel and how they think. So it's easier to keep them separate from you. This is someone who is my age, who grew up broadly in the same like geographical and cultural region. Uh, her mental language, for lack of a better term, uh, it was hard to keep her and me separate. Uh, there was a lot of bleed over with what she was experiencing and what led her to, to what she did. Uh, and so the, the initial reading itself was a lot. Um, it was especially difficult because she didn't kill herself. Her family thought it was because of, of demons. Um, and it was just, that was just wrong. Um, and in some respects that was her mother trying to not look at the real cause. Yeah. Um, and the real cause was human evil. Uh, and her sister was the one who brought us in there. Um, her sister was there while I did the reading. I'm, I didn't realize that. I'm not sure that I would have been as uh, bald with some of my descriptions. But the sister took me aside after that and, and tearfully, I mean, just uncontrollably crying, honestly, uh, said, you're, you're the only one who knows. You're the only one who knows what's actually going on in this family. Uh -huh. um, and it, 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 there was a bad male family member. It had been going on for a very long time. Yeah. And my advice to the sister was get out yeah. now, just like yeah. leave. Yeah. Um, anyway, so all of that happened. And um, I go back to my hotel room and you know, just do the usual stuff clear things out you know game on my computer whatever to, to clear my head about 
three, four in the morning, I wake up and I am, I could see where someone else would say, oh, the spirit followed me and attached to me. And that, that wasn't what was going on. It was the experience resonated so deeply that I was still carrying a lot of the emotions. Right. So when I woke up in the hotel room with no other frame of reference, there were a few moments where it was very difficult to tell the line between how I felt and what I was still feeling from that reading. Uh, so I did something that, that is not really typical for me when I'm doing an investigation where I, I hopped onto Twitter and I'm like, hey, I can't talk about why I'm upset, but send me cute pictures of your cats. Talk to me. Anything to get me like to like get me pulled out of like this weird spiraling cycle in my head because I need to not be caught in this woman's suicidal ideation of, of her last moments because I can't quite clear it out of my head. Um, and that was the hardest thing that I'd done. Um, and the scariest, especially because there wasn't a ghost we could run off. Mm -hmm. We couldn't do anything about what was going on in that family for a lot of weird Byzantine TV things that have to do with waivers and rights and privacy laws. Oh, wow. um, and yeah, that, that was the hardest one. That must have been extra hard to know what was going on and not be able to do anything about it because your hands were tied. I can see, I can totally uh, get why that was difficult for you. Yeah. And I can see yeah. it still affects you to this day. Mm -hmm. oh, and yeah. I, I understand that. One time when I was doing a lot of consultations, I was going to an area in New Zealand, a very small area, a, a, a timber mining area, and before I went there, Spirit said to me, now, Marianne, when you get there, you're going to have a lot to do with suicides this time. You need to be prepared for this. I think over the time period I was there, I saw 30 people, probably 28 people of those 30 had been affected either directly by suicides or they knew somebody who'd committed suicide. And so I had them there. I had the person who'd committed suicide there. It was the most difficult thing for me because when I do a consultation, I feel what spirit feels. I feel what my client feels. And so like, mm -hmm. so I totally get, yeah. I totally get how you were feeling. Absolutely. Wow. I can see that would have been incredibly difficult. You're currently still ongoing with them as as COVID allows and yeah well and also it's let me do a lot of remote viewing work oh. um, not not every production company is okay with making that part of their thing uh, but you know I don't have to physically be in a location and in no. some ways it's so incredibly validating to just be in my house and I it's I don't need a blindfold I don't even see where I'm at nobody tells me where I'm at I just focus on Katrina and then try to read around her yeah uh, and and they you know do the the usual thing of like try to verify what I pick up uh, so so COVID's allowed TV in general is very slow to adapt to new ways of thinking and they are very hesitant of things that they don't think will look good on camera yeah um, and that's usually their their sort of like primary thing and remote viewing seems pretty boring but at the same time, from a psychic perspective, it is this amazing, like, like seriously, how, how much more amazing can it be? This person has no way of like seeing anything and they can be on the other side of the globe and 
literally be at the location as if they're yeah. walking around. Like, yeah. that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. And and I've experienced that myself. Many yeah. of my clients have been in the States. It's, with energy, there's no time or distance. It's just, no. you're just there. Just, it's just a thought, just a thought connection. Well, it's more of an energy prediction. Yeah, yeah. If, if you can connect, if you can manage it, you can you can do it. Yeah, it's really cool that they're doing that. And of course, that stretches your abilities too, that every time you work, it, it helps you hone your abilities more. That's really wonderful. I have a lot of group members from all over the world now. It's only a small group. I only have like about 3,000 members. But when I, you know, mm. but, it's, but I've got people in the States and I've had people, you know, like I've had people with entities in their home and I just like tune and I can see the home like you do quite clearly in my mind and I say okay I go around the rooms till I find this uh entity or this being or this spirit person and you know let my people know what I see and what they need to do to to deal with them you know for me I guess like for you it's about empowering people to take control and to do it for themselves because like I always yeah. tell my people you don't need to get somebody in to clean your home you're quite capable of doing it yourself here are the tools here's how you do it yes that that is a big thing for me too I yeah. I think making putting people in a position where they rely on someone else to do it for them in many ways perpetuates the fear mm. you know that that means that someone else has to come in and protect them and they're always going to be afraid because then they can't it implies that they can't protect themselves yeah yeah absolutely i agree with you and i always say i always say to to people look you have the power this is your home you 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 can set boundaries you can do this you don't have to rely don't give your power away to other people you, there's no need to when you're as powerful as the next person you just have to believe in yourself and you just have to have the right intent if you go in with your intent and you're doing a cleansing and you're thinking to yourself well you're cleansing well I don't think this works and of course it's not going to work because that's the intent yeah. you're now it's as simple as that really isn't it yeah no absolutely now Michelle where can people contact do you have a website or, or a couple of websites that people can visit? Uh, my main website is my first and last name, michellebalanger.com. Uh, Belanger, if you are in the States and aren't too keen on French. <laughs> <laughs> that has like all my books and links to classes. And, and pretty much it's, it's where all of my stuff converges. It's where you can find all of my social media links because I'm active on Twitter. Uh, less active, but present on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, and I also have a, a Patreon, patreon.com slash haunted, way easier to remember than Michelle Belanger. Uh, and that is where I've been doing a lot of teaching classes and things. So like uh, psychic development, healing with energy. Uh, there's also a really uh, like avid community of honestly awesome people on the discord there where it's not just me like dictating stuff to people. Like it's, it's a place of co-learning where folks mm. share stuff they feel safe to share things and uh yeah i just they're really supportive of one another so there's a healing circle on there like everybody's just pretty, really really cool i'm very lucky to have them oh that sounds really great i know i have a lot of people often ask me if i'll start a development circle but really 
my energy is better used elsewhere. So I'll just refer them on to you. So that's really awesome. I can use you as a resource if that's okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's totally. I, I do, I, like I said, I do classes. I've had a lot of people ask me to mentor them like one-on-one or two-on-one. And that's a little bit more like time that I'm able to invest in a way that I feel would be beneficial for everybody. Uh, but the classes are pretty easy and it's all online. Um, it's been really uh, the one fringe benefit of the COVID times is people making a better transition of like, we don't have to be in the same place to connect. We don't have to be in the same place to learn from one another and to share things and to just have profound experiences. That's really cool. So you're reissuing your Vampire's Codex book. You're still working on the program. Portals to Hell. So you're still ongoing on that. And do you have any other projects that you're working on concurrently? I doubtless you have. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, 2022 is the year that we will be re-releasing a number of books that are out of print, uh, including Haunting Experiences, which is a collection of like my real, like early investigations and experiences uh, the Psychic Vampire Codex, the Psychic Energy Codex, Psychic Dreamwalking. Uh, I have also happily gotten back into writing some games uh, and, and role-playing stuff uh, as just a way, honestly, during the pandemic to find some joy. Yeah. Yeah, and just uh, enjoy myself. So there's a silly little vampire romance that just leans into all of the tropes and all of the fiction that'll probably be coming out in February called um oh goodness midnight's kiss uh and there's another one that is like uh, an interactive novella so it's it's a novel but it stops at points for you the reader who is also the character to journal some sections that are left open um called lonely house and that is a classic haunted house tale and just things that i'm like letting myself play with different forms and have fun, like like narrative arcs and journaling games and just different ways of telling stories. Oh, that sounds awesome. Michelle, it's been absolutely a fabulous time talking with you and I've really enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to having you back on again when you release your new book, re-release your book. We've had so many nifty things to talk about, from psychic experiences to remote viewing, dreamwalking, vampires. Uh, belief, language, uh, just the utility of boxes and why we should probably eventually explode every box that we put ourselves (laughs) in. Yes, this was delightful. Thank you so much for having me on. Michelle did a brilliant summary of all the topics we've covered in these two episodes, which absolutely impressed me. She's my first guest to ever do something like that. Before I close, I just want to add a little bit more about vampires that I didn't say at the beginning of the episodes for one reason or another, but I think it's important to add these bits to round off the episodes, so to speak. I began the previous episode by talking about vampires in movies and of cultural differences found throughout the world of these creatures, although I didn't actually go into any great detail about the differences. I did talk about the predominant descriptions of vampires, although they do alter from culture to culture throughout the world, as I mentioned in that episode, and of course they have different names 
so many different names. In fact, if you go to this episode's page on our podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com, there is a link to a page on Wikipedia that has a huge alphabetical list of over 230 different names for these creatures, including the countries they belong to. Some countries have more than one name for them. For example, Vampires are talked about in different cultures and time periods, like the Mesopotamians, the Hebrews, ancient Greeks and Romans. They were particularly strong throughout the southeastern Europe in areas like Albania, Hungary, Romania, Slavic Europe, but they are also found in Ireland, Scotland, Iceland even, Africa, India, Asia and the Americas. So pretty much every culture in the world has their version of the vampire with each culture having their own names and traditions surrounding these creatures. Also, each cultural belief has their vampire often having a different form from the predominant description I gave in the first episode, but the common feature is that they all either drain human blood and energy or life force from their victims, and many of them are able to shapeshift into other animals, like owls, is how the, and please forgive me if I pronounce these names incorrectly, Stikini, vampire of the Seminole Indian tradition does, or they have stingers hidden under their tongues, as with the vampire vampire from Russia. The Strigoi from Romania, for example, are born with a tail, but have the ability to become invisible. The Lugaru from the Caribbean initially appear like normal women, but then they shed their skin like a snake and can transform into any other sort of form in order to slip through any crack in a house at night so they can drink the victim's blood. And on the Ivory Coast, their form of the vampire called the Asan Bonsam looks exactly like a human except for their hands and feet, which apparently have iron hooks. They are ambush predators and hide in trees, waiting on some unsuspecting person to walk by. When they do, they use their hooks to drag them into the trees where they drink their blood. So, from these small examples, you can see that there are many different varieties of these creatures, but the very fact that they are found worldwide, what does that tell you? Are these variations of vampires, or indeed the traditional vampire themselves, merely humanity's way of explaining the unexplainable from back in the days when they had no way of accounting for illnesses? Are vampires not merely creatures of myth and legend? Do they in fact exist in today's society? Yes, actually they do. As I discussed with Michelle, we talked about vampires, different types and subcultures within the current known vampire communities, mostly in the Americas where my guest comes from. But are these the only type of vampire in existence? Do the vampires of these much older traditions still exist in some shape or form today? Are they only a result of humanity's fear of the unknown? Or are today's vampire communities the remnants of these much older older variety adapted for today's lifestyle. Some, particularly those who work in the fields of psychology and sociology even, debate whether these people are genuine vampires or whether they are merely lacking 
in some other area in their life and seeking a place where they can belong, a place where they feel accepted and acknowledged for who and what they are. Whether some of those who proclaim to be vampires are, in fact, suffering from some form of psychological delusion or illness. And certainly, within any culture and subculture in humanity, you're going to get a very small percentage of people like that. But does it mean that all who say they are vampires are delusional and needing psychiatric help? Or does modern psychology and sociology need to look past their biases and accept that in those famous words from Shakespeare where Hamlet is speaking to Horatio, there are more things on heaven and earth, Horatio, than are dreamt of in your philosophy. I really want to thank Michelle for her time and energy in these episodes. I know she was dealing with a cold when we spoke, but being the true professional she is, she soldiered on, talking with me for over two hours. I was very grateful to her for that, and I'm absolutely looking forward to having her back on to talk about her re-released book of Paranormal Accounts. Today's bumper music was called Gothic Children's Choir from Alan Gray. If you enjoy this podcast and have considered becoming a sponsor, now's a great time to join. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash mcc15 and sign up now. As a patron, you get early access to the podcast episodes and a special members only page on the podcast website www.walkingtheshadowlands.com that has bits that end up on the digital cutting board and little extras like full raw unedited video conversations with guests, EVPs caught during the conversations and so much more. Also you can download full written transcripts of each episode and you get my absolute appreciation and gratitude patreon.com forward slash mcc15 for just the cost of a cup of coffee a month. So you don't miss out on an episode, make sure you subscribe on your favourite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms, including iHeartRadio and Pandora as well. Also, if you have Alexa, simply say these four words. Open Walking the Shadowlands and Alexa will play our latest episode for you. Check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, our Twitter feed, at Shadowlands10, TikTok, under walking, underscored, the, underscored, Shadowlands. Like and follow for teasers of our upcoming episodes. If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also. The more, the merrier.
Thanks for listening to this episode. Kakite ano oya koi. I'll see you again. Thanks for listening. 